0: A number of years ago, I read a great book by Parker Palmer called Let Your Life Speak. In it, Palmer tells the story of because of his rising prominence in educational circles, he's offered the presidency of a prestigious Midwestern university. It's a no-brainer. It's an increase in both pay and reputation. He should take it. But Parker Palmer belongs to a group of people called the Quakers, and the Quakers, in times of decision-making, especially significant decision-making, they bring together a half dozen of their friends to form what they call a clearness committee, and that group basically meets to ask them questions about whether they should say yes or say no to this opportunity. In his book, Palmer confesses what was really going on when his clearness committee met He freely admits that his intent in bringing the group together was not to discern anything in particular, but to brag about being given a job, a job he had already decided to say yes to and accept. He writes, for a while, the questions were easy. My vision for the school, the mission, and what it would serve, and how I would serve as a president. Then someone asked a very simple question. Parker, what would you like about being president? Oddly enough, Parker had to think about this for a while. Finally, he began to answer, well, I wouldn't like the politics involved. I wouldn't have like giving up my study and my teaching. I would not like to have to raise funds. Yes, the questioner reminded him, but the question is, what would you like? I'm coming to that, he said irritably. Then he proceeded to list several more irksome things. I wouldn't enjoy wearing a suit. I wouldn't enjoy uh, missing my summer vacations. Someone repeated the question a third time. Parker writes, I felt compelled to give the only honest answer I possessed, an answer that came from the very, very bottom of my barrel, an answer that appalled me even as I spoke it. Well, said I, in the smallest voice I possess, I guess what I'd like most is getting my picture in the paper with the word president under it. I was sitting with seasoned Quakers who knew that though my answer was laughable, my mortal soul was at stake. They did not laugh at all, but went into a long and serious silence, a silence in which I could only sweat and inwardly groan. Finally, my questioner broke the silence with a question that cracked us all up and cracked me open. Parker, he said, can you think of an easier way to get your picture in the paper? Now think about this. Why do you say yes and why do you say no to the opportunities that come your way? What logic goes to work in your decision-making process when it comes to committing to or declining on the opportunities that you are offered? Now, full disclosure. Today, I have a desire to try to convince you to do something that very few people in the world are doing. I wanna persuade you to give away your life in serving others. I wanna encourage you to live for something beyond yourself, to say yes to things which on the surface have more to do with others than they have to do about you. And this is the third week in our series called Living the Unhurried Life. We began by talking at the beginning about our need for rest. Last week, we talked about creating margin in our lives. Today, we turn to this third ingredient, living a life filled with purpose and developing the ability to say yes to the right things. So to get us started, I want to take you to a simple group of verses in the New Testament epistle of Ephesians. Paul wrote this 2,000 years ago to a group of people in this little town of Ephesus in Asia Minor. Today it would be in modern-day Turkey. And when you come to chapter 2 of Ephesians, you find in this letter a really interesting thing happens. Paul spends the first uh, four verses of this chapter... Three verses, actually, talking about what the Ephesians used to be. And then beginning in verse 4 and running through verse 7, he talks about how God changed their lives forever. And then beginning in verse 8, he actually describes the impact of what has happened because God has changed their lives forever. And then in verse 10, he actually wraps up by writing about their lives since they came to Christ and gives them the most beautiful of descriptions of what life is. A.D., having met Christ, is all about. So let's read together Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. We read these words. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So let's ask some specific questions. Let's begin by asking, what does this passage mean? And it's quite simple. We look at this in particular verse 10, which is the verse we want to focus in on. And we hear this. Paul writes, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let me say that again. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Paul is saying to every person who belongs to Christ, to every single person who is listening who's a part of God's family, that they have a quality about them that which goes beyond special. Every single individual who is trusted in Christ for salvation has been touched by God for a very specific purpose. No matter who you are, where you've been, What you look like, what you do well, what you do poorly, what your relationship in your mind is to success or to failure, every single believer is a piece of work created by God the artist. I like the way the New Living Bible translates this verse. For we are God's masterpiece. For he created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Now that's what it means. That's what it means for you and me today, anyone listening to my words. Now, let's talk just for a minute or two about how it applies. This verse has huge implications for living the unhurried life. So, moving from meaning to application, I think there's three specific applications that we want to talk about. First of all, I think that we need to recognize that we're not an accident. Paul begins by writing that we are his workmanship, we are God's workmanship, The dictionary defines workmanship as something that is produced or achieved by significant effort. Workmanship is what results when somebody puts the best of their time and the best of their effort into the creation of something. And the result is something that is very worthwhile. You watch a painter who takes a piece of canvas, stretches it over a frame, carefully outlines the shapes and sizes, both background and foreground. Then having carefully mixed the color of paint that they are going to work with, she takes her palette and begins to mix and paint. A little here, a little there, adjustment. And in the end, it's a masterpiece painting. Or think about someone who's a fine craftsman in woodworking, and they create a grandfather clock that now sits in their home. From from the very beginnings of the plan to hours and hours that go into the creation of each piece, cutting, shaping, gluing, sanding, edging, staining, finishing. And in the end, there's this gorgeous clock that everyone says it's beautiful. It's someone's workmanship. Think about the best workmanship you ever produced. That moment when you lean back with a long and satisfying look at something that you did the yard that you landscape, the paper that you wrote, the perfect paint job or cleaning job or poly- polishing job or pottery job. And that's what Paul is saying here, because the word he chooses here, workmanship, is the same word that's used in Greek literature for a fine work of art. Paul thinks about these Christ followers in the ancient city of Ephesus to whom he writes, and he compares them to a fine work of art. He writes, you are God's workmanship. You are a meticulous meticulously crafted, carefully constructed piece of work into whom God has poured his best efforts, his finest workmanship. And that's the first application I want you to remember because you are God's workmanship. Realize that you're not an accident. You are a meticulously crafted, carefully constructed piece of work into whom God is willing to pour his best efforts, his finest workmanship. Now unfortunately, this is not the prevalent view of our world. Some of you may have heard of the play by Samuel Beckett. It was a very short play to which he gave the simple title of Breath. The award-winning play begins as the curtain opens to reveal a bare stage that is littered with nothing, absolutely littered with nothing but garbage. There are no actors, there is no movement, there is no dialogue. Upon the opening of the curtain, The audience hears a soundtrack. It's 30 seconds long, which begins with a baby's first cry, loud, loud cry of a baby being born and ends a half minute later with an old man's last, last dying breath. And he's saying from birth until death, life is absurd. It is meaningless, pointless, because we came from nothing and we will amount to nothing. And yet the Bible begs to differ because it presents to us an entirely different view of what life is all about. David the psalmist writes in Psalm 139, You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body, and all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Clearly, you and I are no accident. God's workmanship has been poured into us. Now... Hit the pause button and reflect on your life. Think about the abilities you came wired with, which are not an accident. God put them in there for a purpose. The personality you came packaged in, intro or extrovert, high or low energy, thinker or feeler, predictable or unpredictable, whatever. You are who you are for a purpose. It's not an accident that you're like that. How about the particular places with which you have influence with people? in your family of origin, in your home, in your community, in the place that you work, in the circle of friends that you belong to. Those places of influence are not by accident. God put you in your neighborhood for a purpose. You're not an accident. Instead, you're God's workmanship. You are God's workmanship. Now let's keep going. Try a second application on for size, Because Paul continues, You are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. What Paul is saying is this, not only are you created by God, but you were created by God for something. The whole time that that artist is pumping all of that time and all of that effort into the creation of that painting or that fine woodworker into that grandfather clock, they're thinking to themselves, I'm going to take this and put this in this very special spot to be able to serve me. Or I'm going to take it and I'm going to sell it to someone else who's going to use it for a very specific purpose. You see, God had a very specific purpose in pumping all of his workmanship into you to create you as you are. And all along, he's been saying, I have some great things that I want him or her to participate in. I've got some amazing things lined up. I got the perfect opportunity for her to put to use what I have worked and worked into her life. And here's the second application I want you to to carry with you today from this message. Recognize you were made for God's stuff. Because you were created in Christ Jesus, you were created for something. Your life is not your own. You need to recognize that you were created by God for His purposes, for His stuff. Now, the verses which precede this one in Ephesians 2 help us to spell out what those good works actually are. In the verses which begin the chapter, Paul is fleshing out what the shape of our lives used to look like before we met Jesus. He writes about being dead in our sins, following the ways of this world, having a spirit of disobedience to Christ and gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following our desires and thoughts. But then in verse four, Paul interrupts and writes, but God. And he goes on to show how God interrupted that old way of life, brought us into relationship with Jesus, extended his grace to us and gave to us a whole new life. And one thing Paul is trying to get across in verse 10 is that now life is to be lived God's way in abundance, committed to God's purposes because we were made for God's stuff. So to every person who's listening, who considers themselves a follower of Jesus, who's experienced salvation because of Christ's death on the cross, think this through with me. What Paul is saying here is a reminder that when we are saved, and follow Jesus, and experience new birth, whatever the Bible's labels you want to place on becoming a Christian, when that happens, we are not just called away from things. We don't just stop doing things. We actually take on a whole new way of doing things. Case in point, in the scriptures, Paul writes, Ephesians chapter 5, maybe it's 4. If someone is a liar, and they become a Christ follower, God's goal for them is not just that they would stop lying, but that they would become a person who is marked by the truth. Or someone who is sexually addicted and they become a Christ follower. Christ's goal for them is not that they would just learn to live without the rush of meeting their sexual needs through unhealthy choices. No, Christ wants them to learn to live as holy people with their sexuality. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are made for God's stuff. You were made to do life a whole different way. Committed to his purpose and his mission for your life. Your life is not your own. You belong to him. And then i want to speak to every person who's listening right now who doesn't consider themselves to be a follower of jesus think this through with me you may be thoroughly unconvinced about god about jesus christ about the bible about the church at this point in your life but a day may come might be today might be next week next month next year at some point in your life time may come when you may want to take a step of commitment to jesus christ because you know he's at work in your life. And you want to move your check mark from the unconvinced box to the follower box. And I want to be the one who warns you about what that will cost you. Because it will cost you everything. You were made for God's stuff. And when you come before him and you confess your need of him and commit yourself to following him, your life is no longer your own. You belong to God. And he gets the final stay on everything because your life is no longer your own. And you were made for God's stuff. And then third, one last implication. You're not an accident. You were made for God's stuff. Let's bring this verse in for a landing. Paul closes out with these words. You are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Paul makes it clear that when we think through what an unhurried life looks like, we need to realize that God has plans for you, plans to which you should say yes And the third application found in this verse is this. We must learn when to say yes in life, which of course means we also need to learn when to say no. So let's close out this message by looking at what saying yes has to do specifically with living the unhurried life. You know, and I know, and I think I know that you know, and you know that I know, that one of the spots where we get bogged down in living the unhurried life is this spot where we say yes in life say yes to too many things, and the unhurried life walks out the back door and walks off down the street, never to be seen again. And yet, in talking with different people about this, one of my worries about teaching you this unhurried life series will give you all permission to sit back in your lazy boy, grab the remote, and yell no into the the voicemails that come your way, giving you opportunities to serve. And I would fail you... If in teaching the word I called you to learn to say no and then watch you say no to absolutely everything in your life, because that's not the point of this message. That's not what the scriptures teach us. The bottom line is that every follower of Jesus needs to learn to say both yes and no. Like we talked about last week, we need to learn to say no to those things which come our way, which don't fit our season of life or our gifting or our capacity. But we need... To learn how to identify and say yes to the opportunities to serve God that he puts in front of us who fit who we are and how we've been wired and how we've been gifted and prepared and shaped by God through our experiences. So what should you say yes to? To to what should you say yes and when should you say that and how do you learn what to say yes to? Now I want to answer in kind of a weird way. How many of you have ever heard of DNA? probably plenty of you, if if you want me to be highly scientific about it, DNA stands for deoxyribonucleic acid. To put it in terms that all of us would understand, DNA is the basic ingredients that go into the nucleus of the chromosomes of various cells in your body and mind. Everyone has a different DNA and for some of you that should make you very very happy because you're different from me. Every one of us has a different. For some of you, that would be a a point where you have a high voice because of your DNA. Others of you will have a low voice because of your DNA. All of us are being, all that we are, all, all that we do, it all comes from our particular DNA. Who you are, what you look like, the sound of your voice, the weight of your body, the strength of your vision, the color of your hair, the height that you will end up at, how fast your fingernails grow. Much of what you are capable of and incapable of flows from your DNA. In Ephesians 2.10, as we've already covered, Paul writes, You are created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. You see, God has arranged for you to live your life committed to a certain number of things to which you are to say yes. And you need to learn to say yes according to another kind of DNA that exists inside of you and of which you are made. Think of it as spiritual DNA. Because you belong to Jesus Christ, because you are in Christ, there are three components to your specific DNA. Component number one is the divine. Component number two is the natural. And component number three is the acquired. The divine, the natural, and the acquired DNA. Let's take a minute to look at each of those. First of all, let's talk about what is divine. And by this, I don't mean that you are divine. You are divinely created. I want to talk about spiritual gifts. The New Testament teaches us that God has given to each person who belongs to Christ at least one spiritual gift to be used for the building up of the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 has a list of them and teaches about them. Romans chapter 12 has a list of them and teaches 1 Peter chapter 4. They tell us That we have gifts that God, by his Holy Spirit, has put inside of us that the body needs, that the world needs, that God has given to us. And God says, use this gift to the max. You and I need to take this deep part of who we are and develop it and nurture it and learn all we can about it and experiment with it and read all about it and find people in the Bible with it and partner up with others to use it, to use this divine gift to the max. You see, the church needs to be built upon people using their divine spiritual gifts to serve Christ. And communities are touched and changed when we begin to do that. Let the teachers teach, and the shepherds shepherd, and the merciful show mercy, and the administrators administrate, and the givers give, and so on. And the first question you need to ask when you're trying to decide whether to say yes or no to something that comes your way is, has God gifted me to do this? So let's just say, example. Your youth pastor calls up and asks if you'd be willing to lead one of the small groups in your youth ministry. It's a great opportunity for someone who loves teens and has great relational skills. If you stop and think about it, and you realize that the happiest day of your life was the last was the last, was the day that your teenager your last teenager turned 20, that you absolutely hate preparing a lesson for your own small group, that you find people falling asleep every time you lead small group, you should probably say no. Because it looks like you don't have that D gift. On the other hand, if you love teens and hanging out with them and influencing them. And you feel like the greatest way God uses you is when you're around teenagers. You find yourself drawn to them and you've led groups in the past. It's probably something you should say yes to. It, It sounds like something that you have gifting for. So take a look at yourself and understand the D part, the divine part of you. Now move from D to N. Inside of you there's a certain way that you are a certain way that is natural for you and it has a lot to do with the abilities that have come natural to you and the personality that you become come wired with each of us have natural abilities kind of things that we just pick up without even trying it maybe it's music or talking or studying or winning people over or solving arguments or coming alongside of hurting people or just digging in and doing whatever needs to be done we have those natural abilities. Others of us have personalities. All of us have personalities that we came wired with. We're introverts, extroverts, fast, slow, verbal, thinker, emotive, stoic, structured, spontaneous, random, rigid. We use many words to describe what we are like in personality. And that end part of you, the things that come natural to you, have a lot has a lot to say about what you say yes to. God used people like Moses and Deborah and David and Paul and Barnabas and Aquila and Priscilla in the Bible not in spite of who they were, but because of who they were. So let's say someone from your church calls you up and asks if you'd get you'd be willing to get involved in the administration of small groups this fall. You know the drill. You track people. You put people in groups. You make phone calls to line up new people. You assign rooms to groups who, who might meet in the church. If you absolutely hate details, if you lose things easily, you have an apartment or a house or a car or a work cubicle that looks like something out of the movie Twister, And and if you can't remember a conversation 15 minutes after it took place, if your life depended on it, you should probably say no in light of the fact that it doesn't sound like you have something natural in this area of your life. On the other hand, if you use your phone every day, constantly tracking everything you do, and you often find yourself organizing those around you, you ought to think about saying yes because it sounds like an opportunity that naturally fits you. Understand what is natural about you. So the D, what is divine? The N, what is natural? Finally, let's do the A, what is acquired? Let's talk about passions. There is something that God does in the heart of everyone who is a follower of Jesus Christ to change them from who they were to who they become in Christ over time. Over time, all of us discover that there are passions that rise up inside of us as a result of following Jesus. Romans 8.39, I think, calls it the best. It calls it being conformed to the image of Christ. We become like Jesus. How does it happen? Happens through your devotional life, by spending time with God, teaching that you hear, conversations that you have, the movement of God's spirit in your life, you change. Passions catch you that didn't used to be there. So in the churches that Jamie and I have served, I've watched this happen over and over again. Someone will make an appointment with me. They'll come and visit me and they'll talk about a growing passion for kids or helping people discover their gifts or outreach or youth or a community or a neighborhood need. And those those conversations usually have phrases like, I would absolutely love to or I feel that God has been leading me to. This A component is what's happening in your life because of Christ's presence. You are acquiring passions because Jesus lives in you. And when opportunities come up that are in sync with this A component, you need to think long and hard about saying yes. God is changing you to be part of the solution to the problems that you have faced. Some people call this our holy discontent, that over time there are things that we just, as we are marked by God's presence in our life, we become discontent with. Something needs to change. That's the acquired part of things. And when you take the D and when you take the N, and when you take the A and you put those things together, that's an opportunity to which you need to say yes. Because God put that together for you. Last illustration. Years ago, when my wife and I served our church in Salem, Oregon, had a fellow come to Christ. He walked away from the church 10 or 15 years previous and just said, I'm having nothing to do with it. And then one New Year's, he began to walk in and he began to sit in the back and listen and apply the teaching to his life. His name was Chris and he worked at four different, uh, he's an engineer that worked at four different burn plants around the United States. And one of those burn plants meant traveling down to Atlanta and going to a particular burn plant in Alabama. And one day while coming home from Alabama through the Atlanta airport, he had a massive heart attack, like he barely survived. And he came home to Oregon and his doctor said, two things need to change. You need to change your diet and you you need to exercise. So Chris began to get up very early every morning and go for walks. Now, salem oregon has a very large homeless population the weather is quite mild and a lot of homeless people live in the parks and different places around salem this has especially been true since the state hospital closed down a number of years ago and as chris was walking along one of his first mornings he saw a homeless person sleeping under that bush and another person over there and he took his route and over the over the time he began to recognize people that guy's there again that guy's there again so One day when he got up early in the morning, he decided that I'm going to to make some sandwiches and drop them off, these guys. So he went on his little path, went on his walk, and he dropped a sandwich by that gentleman's head, and by that person's head, and went along his way and dropped off perhaps 10 sandwiches. And over time, he began to make his sandwiches at night. And then he would, in the morning, have them in his backpack and hand them out. Well, over time, this became a little overwhelming for him, particularly when he would travel. What would he do? They wouldn't be fed. So he came to me and said, the church needs to do something about this. And I said, Chris, no, you need to do something about this because God laid this on your heart. This is your DNA. So we helped Chris to organize a group called Angel Messengers, and they began to hand out sandwiches and to do that. The last time I heard in the course of one year, they had handed out thousands and thousands of sandwiches to help hungry people. Those are the kinds of things that happen when we pay attention to what we say yes and what we say no to. And I am convinced that inside of you is a spiritual DNA. There are spiritual gifts, something that is divine. There are abilities that you have naturally uh, built into your life. And there's passion that you have acquired. That means that there is a particular way in which you fit God's kingdom and you can serve other people. And as I talked about earlier, you can give your life away in service to others. And you can live the unhurried life but be deeply involved in serving other people by paying attention to your DNA. I hope you can do that this week. Have a great week. Thanks.